you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination in godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B. and J-Mac are on tap to help us navigate the show. Yes. Uh, we'll get around to some of your calls. <laughs> Should I say that we're also streaming the program on um, Facebook and YouTube? Uh, I don't know. I don't know either yet. Okay, well, if if we are, then hey, to. we are. <laughs> and if we're not, then... Oh, we're live on Facebook. There's no problem. Okay. Um, all right, good. Hey, before we get into the program today and discuss uh, this article that, that I have in front of me here, mm-hmm. uh, we have an announcement to make. We have a, a marriage family life date night coming up in Hattiesburg, yes. Mississippi. Yes. And that is happening August 24th. Yes. 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. It is a free event but you have to register. Space is limited. That's right. And um, we do have to um, know that you're coming. So you can learn more information uh, by going to marriagefamilylife.net. That's right. Marriagefamilylife.net. And uh, if you click on the date night link, Mm -hmm. you'll find uh, information there, like uh, where it's taking place. Yes, yes. And there are some, you'll, you'll see some other links there, like some other date nights, but this first one is is ready to go, ready for you to register. It's a free event. And like uh, Mickey said, you click on it and say register here. When you register, um, <clears throat> you you go ahead and do that, and you get all the information that you need right right there. So it's going to be a good time. We have a lot of fun at the date nights. Um, it's just a great time for couples to get away, you know, just for that a few hours, you know, mm-hmm. and to be able to enjoy themselves. And, and as we play a game, uh, we have some some nice music playing. We have a meal that we we take we eat together, and then you know we speak. You know we, yeah. we encourage a short presentation. Yes, we yeah. encourage marriages, and so it's just a great time. It's a fun time. So hope you can come. And then out. we take questions and uh, comments. Yes, yes, uh, and that's always fun. I I always enjoy that so much. I, I feel like that's so much of where um, a lot of the meat comes from. Just uh, being able to communicate and. Um, hear from the body of Christ, like, you yes. know, face to face is is so good. So anyway, one, one thing um, that Jay wanted me to mention is that seating is limited and uh, registration. It closes on August 17th, August 17th. So um, get your spot because, uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot. You of have fun. a little bit more than a month. Yes. To plan yes. it. If you're if you're like me, you're going to just uh, look into it on August the 16th. <clears throat> Don't do that. That's right. <laughs> it's just <laughs> true. Like, it's just it's uh, it's a sickness. All right. Um, so I was thinking about this. I actually had this article yesterday, mm-hmm. but I wanted to double back to um, the San Francisco gay men's chorus and mm. the, you know, whether or not the song was a parody. Yeah. And whether or not parents should have been concerned that they were, you know being told that their kids were going to be converted. Uh, so anyway, so we want to talk about that yesterday. Oh, speaking of yesterday, by the way, 
um, Bob, who was listening to us oh. in uh, Mississippi, yes, and gave us some information on air, yes, and I was just sort of like, oh, I don't know about that. I've not heard that. Well, when we uh, wrapped up the show yesterday, <laughs> I went to look it up, mm-hmm. and sure enough, Bob was exactly right in what he said. Right, and so if you if you haven't listened to yesterday's show, um. When you listen, just know that our first caller from yesterday, Bob in Mississippi, um, what he was communicating was exactly spot on. Yeah. He was not exaggerating. Not at all. Um, and, and so I don't know what that means for that game. And I don't want to go into all of it because it's <laughs> I, I, look, honestly, it just makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, I I'll just tell you the truth. It just makes me uncomfortable. But it is um, very vulgar. Yeah. What, you know, yeah. the, the origin of it. <laughs> right. Is, Anyways, I didn't have a clue. I don't know how we get here, people. Man, I don't know how we get here. Like, how does this happen? I don't know. I don't know how this happens. Hmm. Um, but it does happen. And so, anyway, once you know, then the question is because uh, anyway, to the game, mm-hmm. I, I won't say the name of it now because I just feel uncomfortable <laughs> saying it. But I was thinking about it. I was like, man, you know, come to think of it, I think we at once called that a beanbag toss. Yeah, that's what that's, I that's thought. What you that's said. what we used to call. You're probably right, but you know I'm how things. I'm thinking of two different things. I don't know. I think you're right, but you know how things change. You know, the world has a huge influence. You know, yeah. on all types of stuff, and we we're kind of talking about that. You know how uh, uh, names have been co-opted. <laughs> you know, what yes. I'm saying you know rainbow and all, like all this stuff, man, and, and it's crazy. You know, just the the wickedness that that really comes out because when when you shared that with me, that link, and said, "Man, Bob was right." I was like, "Man, this is this is disgusting and crazy." You yeah, know? it really is. And and so, anyways, um, I I also noticed from that link that this was talked about in in some other programs that you, you know you may have missed because you didn't know exactly what people were saying, but mm-hmm. the, all kind of um, all kind of innuendo, yeah, um, floating around, yeah, in in our society, so. All right. So today's program um, in religion, confession is key Hmm. in religion. Confession is key. And I was thinking about this as I was reading a Breitbart article um, discussing uh, Imbram X. Kendi uh, Mm -hmm. keynoting at the um, teach conference together, educating America's children. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for the American Federation of Teachers, yeah. I think is the is the name of the group. That's they had their is it a biennial conference, and so he was keynoting at this conference. And um, yeah, the American Federation of Teachers, and I thought it was interesting not not his presentation or you know excerpts of his presentation, but I, I thought it was interesting that in the Q and A um, time. Mm-hmm that he was kind of touted as this hero for admitting that he's had some racist thoughts himself. Hmm. Okay. And, and apparently uh, writing about this in his book. Um, Wait, he said that he had some racist thoughts. Right. Right. So wow. yeah, because I thought but, that was impossible. Right. But here's <laughs> okay. So you're already so far ahead. Will, because when I was reading this, I was thinking, but, you know, there is a slight difference here in Kendi's admission that he has had some racist thoughts. Mm. There's a difference between that and demanding that people admit or confess that they are racists. Mm. Right. Mm. Like there's a there's a slight difference, but it's a difference, mm. I think, that is really significant. 
And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit. And I wanted to talk about really just the, the power that is in demanding that people confess, that they mm. confess, that they say, that they say, right? Yeah. And, and, and maybe for some people, this becomes just, you know, overly spiritual and, and they think there's nothing to it. Um, but I think there's everything to it. And, and that's one of the things that I've been saying for a long time, that we've got to stop meeting these people on their terms and using their terms. Like mm -hmm. they're telling us how mm -hmm. to talk. They're telling us what to talk about. And then we just, you know, kind of show up there. We arrive there and then we agree. Right. So, okay. So let me, let me get into reading this article and then we'll talk a little bit about this. And, um, and of course we'll, we'll, uh, look at it through, through the lens of scripture. My big concern, by the way, is that as many of, of the parents, as I see speaking out against critical race theory in schools, I still think that there are far too many who are quiet about it. Mm. And so that's, that's one of the reasons that I keep, keep talking about this is because I don't think that people really understand how sinister this is yeah. and what it's actually doing to children. Yeah. What's more, I don't, I don't think people understand uh, that it's antithetical to the gospel mm. and that and that even if it did not have any immediate effects on children that you could see, um, it is a direct threat to the gospel, yeah. to the sufficiency of Christ yeah. and, and what he has done for us. So anyway, I'll just keep talking about that. We'll keep having this discussion. But this is a current event. And I thought, well, let's let's just talk about it. So the the um, attention grabbing headline is that Kendi says to be anti-racist. And remember, we've done shows where we've talked about the difference, according to Kendi, uh, the difference between anti-racist and a, um, not racist. Because <laughs> there's a difference. Remember, guys, there's a difference between being an anti-racist and just being not racist. Okay. Okay. Um, just in case you, you need to be refreshed. <laughs> so to be an anti-racist is to actively... And ongoingly, one, be acknowledging that you are racist, okay, that you that you are flawed because of systemic racism, you you exist in it, right? But then it's also to be actively doing something to change it. And part of that activism can simply be just confessing that you're racist. Mm -hmm. That could that could be part of your your activism. To be not racist is to just do nothing. Wait. Remember we played the clips? Yeah. To yeah. be to, to be not racist mm -hmm. is to do nothing. That's that doesn't move anybody anywhere. Right. So in other words, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get everybody in in our society to be anti-racist. That's okay. what we're trying to do. So trying activist to get for, yeah. that, for that cause. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's that's exa exactly right. To be converts, to confess, to agree. Right. And then as 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 a part of that new religion that you have now come into you have, there are things you have to do. Mm. And, and some of those things that you have to do, you would put it in the category of activism. Well, All go. right, so to be anti-racist is to admit the times which were being racist, said critical race theorist or theory activist Ibram X. Kendi during an American Federation of Teachers conference on Wednesday. To be racist is to consistently, <laughs> to constantly, consistently deny, 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 like Donald Trump. Wait, what? <laughs> you wonder like dude like i mean really what? you know so th th that's what ibram x kendi said that to be racist is to constantly and consistently deny 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 like donald trump so saying just consistently saying no i'm not i'm not racist is that's being 
not racist? It's confusing. Th- that's to to say that you're not racist is to be racist. Okay. So so to even say that deny, it shows that you are racist. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Deny, deny, deny. And and the reason that is important is because ultimately where we have to get or where we're being forced to go in culture is that everyone confesses. Every everyone confesses. Everyone becomes um but this Everyone only applies a racist in order to be an anti-racist. But this only applies to white people, right? Like well, everybody don't confess. This. So, so that's really interesting because I think there's a sleight of hand that happens there, right? Because no, um, you don't hear or read of black people saying that they are racist. But it seems that Kendi is getting some points here because he confessed to having had racist thoughts before hmm. okay all right so a man by the name of frederick ingram mm-hmm. who is the secretary treasurer for the american federation of teachers praised kendy for the fact that he included this information in his book how to be an anti-racist okay so ingram in the question and answer portion of this conference ingram posed this question but he started by he started out by praising Kendi, that he had confessed (laughs) to having some racist thoughts before. Mm. And this is what he said. This is really interesting. He said, how does this honesty and vulnerability help give others the space to acknowledge and name their own racist behaviors and attitudes? In other words, because you have done this, how does this carve out space for everyone else to say it's safe to confess your racism? Okay. (laughs) So because you have taken those bold first steps mm-hmm. um, of confession. By the way, not confessing what the demand is. The demand in culture is to confess that you are irredeemably a racist. That's the demand is not to say, man, you know, I had this thought and and and, and I can see how that is um, a display of partiality. Mm-hmm. That's not the demand. The demand is that you are systemically irredeemably if you fall into a certain category the oppressor and we'll talk about this because we have some instances of this because kendi would go on to deny this and saying and denying that critical race theory is actually being taught in um in elementary schools let's say k-12 education Hmm. so so anyway one of the things that i thought was interesting and we'll have to get to it on the side of the break is that Kendi says he he wasn't vulnerable to provoke other people's vulnerabilities. Hmm. He just felt like it was important that people understand there must be confession. Wow. Okay. All right. Let's grab the break. Aaron <laughs> the Addison's on American Family Radio. Stay right there. Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And that is We Are Messengers with Power. Uh, speaking of power, we're talking about the power of confession mm-hmm. and um, how our culture is making demands of everyone who will submit. And one of the biggest and greatest demands is con- confession. 
Mm. Um, I, I really believe that it kind of ties in, and I, I, I want to be careful here, but, but I believe it kind of ties in uh, even to the show yesterday when we talk about conversion. Like there is, there is a requirement that there must be agreement saying the same mm. thing for a person to be won over. Yeah, like it, you're, you're, right. you're not going to just an affirmation. Yeah. Um, this, this, this Greek word, like you think of, uh, Romans chapter 10, nine, right. That we've got to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right. That, that confession to say the same, mm. um, homologia is mm-hmm. the word, right. Mm-hmm. That we, we've got to say, or homologeo is the word, say the same thing mm-hmm. to say the same thing to, to confess. And our culture is calling for that in ways that are antithetical to the faith. So it is a different, it's an. It's an other type of confession. Mm-hmm. And I really believe, and, and this is when I talk about critical race theory, I talk about it as a different gospel. Yeah. And it's unfortunate to me that so many Christians are accepting this. I just, I don't understand it. It really, it, I think that the, the scriptures insulate us from this in ways that we must be rejecting in order to accept this. Yeah. You, you know, I, I, I said this last week. I think there's a spirit of stupor. Yeah, <laughs> that's among yeah. even the church. Some yeah. of this stuff, because it seems like how in the world are we submitting to this or even allowing this? I think there's a dullness that's palpable. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I'm going to toggle back to it because I think that, again, um, Paul addressing the Galatians, um, I think is insightful and, and it's helpful even for us today as we look at these uh, rival um, doctrines. <laughs> mm. <laughs> You know, I think ideologies is putting it mildly, mm-hmm. but th- these are rival doctrines, right? These are these are rival religions mm. is, is what what they are. And, and so anyway, I think that Paul's instructions um, to the Galatians are helpful. So I want to toggle back to that. But I want to go back to this uh, Imbram X. Kendi uh, piece here where he's talking about his own moments of being vulnerable in his book. And being asked the the question of like, you know, h- how do you think that this helps other people um, naming their own racist behaviors and attitudes? Now, and, and, and I want you to watch the shift, listen for the shift here, because to name a racist attitude is not the same thing as calling oneself racist. Hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Because even in the body of Christ, we would say, well, we have to call sin sin. So we call this partiality. Mm-hmm. So we say if we confess that, man, I've, I've shown partiality in this way, this has been a display of partiality, then there is grace and there is forgiveness for that. But that's not what our culture is calling for. Our culture is calling for you to make that your identity mm-hmm. so that it is ever with you. That is that is who you are. Yeah. Right. All right. So here is Kendi responding to the question. Let me read here and I'm going to take my time. You know how I do. I'm probably going <laughs> to offer some commentary here and there. Probably. That's just Come on, man. Most likely. <laughs> Definitely. OK. Um, but I'm going to try to get through it because I think these, these are the kinds of things that we have to be able to spot. Mm. Like when this when when these conversations are, are happening around us and people are saying one thing, but they're saying it in such a way just to be slightly deceptive. I think these are the things we have to catch. OK, yeah. so here is Kendi's response to uh, Ingram's question, Frederick Ingram, Ingram's question about Kendi revealing that he once had racist thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> OK, um, so here's his response. I'm quoting Kendi at length here. In studying the history of racism. Even studying the history of times in which people were being racist, what I found was a consistent sort of narrative 
um, was just denial, was, was people just denying the ways in which they were being racist, their racist policies, their racist ideas. People constantly and consistently, now please listen very carefully here. This is Kendi. Okay. People constantly and consistently, whether you're a Ku Klux Klansman, a lyncher, or a slaveholder, or a segregationist, or, you know, someone today consistently claiming they're not racist, no matter what you do or say. Here it is. Pause for a second. <laughs> okay. So we have moved from being vulnerable and being able to admit, man, you know, I had this thought. I, I, I perceived this about people. I thought this way about people and that was wrong. And I've, I've come to the revel revelation or the realization that that's, it's not right. You know, how do we get from that to saying a person who says they're not racist is on the same level of a Ku Klux Klansman, mm. a lyncher or a slaveholder? But again, these are the kinds of conversations that when you are having these conversations, you will miss this. Yeah. Right. Because what you want, you want people to be better than they are. So you want to hear them saying that what you hear them saying is not what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. But what do you do when in the course of human events, that's what they're saying? Right. Like that's that's actually what they're saying. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. So picking up with his with his quote here. All right. And I wanted the heartbeat, really, of this book to be the veritable opposite of that. And the opposite is actual admission. Being vulnerable, being willing to look and see. You know what? I was wrong. I was the problem. <laughs> My ideas were the problem. Not those people. <laughs> and I'm quoting him here. He says, and, and, I thought that it was critically important to do that. Not because I actually thought it would allow other people to be vulnerable, but because I recognized that it was important to be vulnerable, to be anti-racist. Now that right there is manipulation. Mm. <laughs> so you, you call forcing someone to confess something that is not true, being vulnerable, right? And that's important in being anti-racist. Kendi continues, like to be anti-racist is to admit the times, <laughs> the times, in which we're being racist. That's to be anti-racist. To be racist is to consistently or to constantly and consistently deny, deny, deny like Donald Trump, end quote. So to be a racist is to say that you're not a racist. Because you're in denial is what. Because you're in denial. <laughs> because there is no way. And remember, we played these clips for you a few mm -hmm. months ago. There is no way that you live in America and you are not affected by the system that you grew up in. So in America, you are racist and therefore you have to confess that you are racist. If you are saying that you're not, then that is in fact the signal <laughs> that you are. Now, what do the critical race theorists require of you for, for some type of um, partial atonement? Because there is, there is no forgiveness in total 
there is partial atonement, which might allow you to, in some ways, kind of have a little bit of freedom and moving mm. about the country, just a little bit of freedom. Right. Because you Be- can, you confess, but you're not totally absolved. Like there's no, exactly right. You know, you're still in that same predicament. That's exactly right. And, and so, and that's, and that's the thing. The thing is confess that you're a racist, whether you are or you aren't, doesn't really matter. Right. It's crazy. You have to confess it as a part of this new religious dogma. And I was thinking about the Galatians, right? And I was thinking about the Apostle Paul and how he was warning them that if they accepted circumcision, if they added that to the gospel, right? If they if they were guilty of creating a new gospel, he said something very clearly to them, very boldly to them. Mm-hmm very plainly to them. And I think it's really instructive for us today. In Galatians chapter five, verse two, um, Paul said, look, I, Paul say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Mm. Now think about that for a second, (laughs) right? So here they are. They are saying all of the things that Paul has said, about what they believe about Christ and his work, they're simply saying, all I need to do is also add this thing. Just just add this thing, right? Which for them was circumcision. For you today in culture, it is the admission that you're racist. And it's very tempting to do it, wow. right? Because like wow. so many people around you are saying, no, I'm a Christian, but but yeah. I, sub- I submit to this. Mm. No, 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 no. And And then you've got like, Popular preachers that you trust who are telling you to check the things that you have in your backpack. Okay, I'm looking at you, Brother Chandler. Like mm. they're telling you to check check your privilege, you know, and what you what you have that you're not aware of. And so all of these things, as I call them often, are very sensual, right? Mm. Like they're very sensual because they're you're kind of like, you're like, oh yeah. I I I have been wrong. I have had a certain amount of privilege and you could, you, man, you look, you could have, you could have grown, you could have grown up like powdered milk, poor powdered eggs, poor you, you could have, you could have grown up lopsided cheese block, poor that cheese was good, though, but it was lopsided. You couldn't cut it. straight. <laughs> you couldn't cut it straight. I don't care how hard you tried. Okay. You could have grown up that kind of, that kind of poverty, but simply based on the color of your skin, you came with a certain amount of privilege. That's insane. There, and there's so many people. And, and by the way, let me say something, too. By the way, you know, there are people who started out at, at you know, when critical race theory began to kind of like pop off in culture. There mm-hmm. were people who started out saying things like this. Because at that point, they were still like, you know, biblically sound <laughs> and willing to be honest. Yeah. They're saying, wait, hold up. I, I mean, because listen, when, when I hear people say that I have privilege, they're thinking, well, you know. I grew, I grew up like this, but then, you know, after time and being worn down and not returning to the straight edge, not returning to the word of God, mm-hmm. rather feeling the pressure of like your platform Come on. and people liking you, which I don't care. I don't care. Right. At the end of the day, the gospel does not proliferate on the backs of cowards. Come on. It really doesn't. Let's let's right. pause for a second. Let's think You're about right. that. Like this, you, you, I hate to interrupt your regularly scheduled program. We can get back to critical race theory and confession <laughs> and all that. But let's think. Let's think about this just for a second. I, I I had this thought the other morning, as I was thinking about some of the hard things that the gospel demands of us. 
When you really think about what the expectation is for those of us who are professing a newness of life in Christ, think about some of the things that the Lord expects us to do, the ways that we have to live. Think of Matthew 10. Mm. Think of Matthew 10, right? There's no way that you can do that in your own natural strength. That's right. There's no way. And shame on us that we, you know, sometimes we've looked at Acts and, and we've looked at the promise that the Lord gave that the Holy Spirit was going to come and that we would receive power and that we would be witnesses. And we've looked at that as some sort of like, you know, um, outward display of gifts. That's a shame because really what Christ is saying is that wait here so that you can receive the power that you need to live this life. Mm. Cause it's rough. It's, <laughs> it's going to be bad for you. You can't do it on your own. You can't look, we can't even pass the gospel down intact without the spirit's power. That's right. Because the pressure is so great. The pressure is immense to just give up a little ground here. Give up a little, just, just say you have a little bit of privilege. Just say you are a little bit, you know, you're a little bit oppressed in ways that Christ can't overcome for you. I'm always so amazed by the people who are like, you know, they sing these songs like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I got the victor. You know what I'm saying? Like the people who they uh, always have the victory. circumstances, you know? Right. Not in all. <laughs> right. It's, it's the Jesus who only overcomes at church. Come on, man. But not in business. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You own your own business and you're black. Jesus can't overcome. <laughs> only in only at church when it's when it's <clears throat> offering time. If you accept today's cultural norms and what our society is feeding us and shoving down our throats, if, if we accept these things, then Christ is of no advantage to us. And and what is it that the Apostle Paul is saying? He is saying that what Jesus Christ did is totally sufficient. And so now listen, and, and I, you know, I know there are people who would say our kids are not being affected by this the way we think they are. <laughs> In fact, the people who are saying that are the critical race theorists. <laughs> right. And, and because they know that yeah. as time goes on, man, we're going to see the fruit. Uh, yes. I mean, you're going to see it immediately, but as time goes on, you're going to see much, much more of the investment that they have made <laughs> into our children, the wicked you know, investment. It's interesting because in this article, Kendi was also kind of the follow up question was whether or not Kendi was concerned or he found it dangerous that some school boards are banning critical race theory, that is that some school districts are saying you're not teaching that trash to our children. Mm -hmm. um, he was asked whether or not that was alarming to him. And he responded with um, the only way that he felt like he could compare this recent wave of what's happening. And, and in an unsurprising fashion, right, uh, the only way he could think to describe what is happening was um, similar to the reaction and the response to Brown versus Board of Education. <laughs> oh, wow. Quote, when, when there was widespread fear of certain schools and certain communities that those desegregated schools, those black children would, um, were going to harm or be harmful to the white children, end quote. So, so essentially, the parents who are speaking out against their kid being taught that they are the oppressor 
or their kid being taught that they are the oppressed. Those parents are just like those white parents that <laughs> were like, we will never, mm -hmm. ever integrate. Never, ever. Same thing. Crazy. All right. Aaron, the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll come back. We'll take your call. Stay right there. on the Addisons on American Family Radio. Appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And that's Fred Hammond. Give me a clean heart. I read this article uh, last week and um, it just really struck me, you know, thinking about uh, Erwin Lutzer and just the contribution that he's making right now to the body of Christ. And has for a long time, I say right now, but just like unapologetically, yeah. you know, because there are some pastors um, who really have been entrusted with a lot in the way of influence, mm -hmm. but um, it, it's not, you just don't see what you would expect to see. Yeah. And I was reading this article. This is a Christian Post article where he was talking about um, warning the church that, that the church in many instances uh, is capitulating to ungodly ideas. Mm. I mean, this is, this is, this is so true. Yeah, this is exactly what the church has been doing. Yeah. Um, and this is what he said. And I want to read this before we get back into it. And then we'll open the phone lines up. Um, he said, quote, Erwin Lutzer, quote, my heart is for the church and I see the church submitting to the culture. Instead of allowing scripture to stand alone, we interpret it in a way that is consistent with the culture. I want to challenge Christians. Will we interpret the culture through the lens of scripture? Or will we interpret the scripture through the lens of culture? Hmm. Increasingly. And it's become so normative, even like among believers that we thought, okay, we, we, we all agree here. We're reading the Bible. We all agree here. It's become so normative that now culture is shaping what people believe about the Bible. Yeah. That I, I fear we don't even talk about it enough if at all, because it's now just what we do. Yeah. It's just what we do. We, we look at what's happening in the culture and then we say that shapes scripture rather than looking at scripture and saying that should shape culture at the, at the very least that should shape how we engage culture. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, people are just afraid. And, and, and my encouragement ongoingly is be unafraid. Like, Amen people they're not going to like you even if you you try to water down right they're not going to like you right so you know i i think it's just better to be to to yeah. you know be yeah. yourself and and i think that's the um the mindset of some people that maybe if i'm not too rigid or and they call it rigid but if i don't stick towards the the straight edge of scripture maybe you know I got to just be more loving or I got to do, do this. And no matter what you do, you're going to be hated if you're standing for Christ. Now, if, right. you're, if you're going back and forth, you, you know, uh, straddling the fence, then yeah, they might like you. They might begin to like you, in which mm -hmm. you need to look at that and say, man, why do they like me? Why? You know? It's a scam. But it's, 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 our, it's our portion to not be liked by the world. That's right. That's I mean, right. Jesus said it himself, you know? Yeah. 
Unfortunately, we've lived in a very comfortable time. Um, you know, throughout the history of this country, we've lived in, in very comfortable times, I should say. And so we expect that ongoingly. Yeah. And it's shocking for us now to have to, in some ways, and, and I, I, I want to be careful with this because the persecution that our brothers and sisters are experiencing around the world, mm -hmm. um, really what we are experiencing cannot be compared to that. Right. But I think we're getting just a little bit of a taste of what it is to be unfavored mm. in culture. Yeah. And, and that, that is the surest sign that we are in a post-Christian society mm. because the Christians, the Bible believing Christians indeed are unfavored. Yeah. Um, I will open up the phone lines here. I do have a little bit more that I wanted to share okay. from uh, Ibram X. Kendi because mm -hmm. there is denial there um, that parents are losing their mind and that parents are responding to lies, uh, that what parents think is being taught to their kids is not being taught to their kids. Um, but then at the same time that Kendi says this, he also turns around and says the very thing that parents are standing against in his comments. <laughs> he says that kids are not being taught that there are certain people groups that are the oppressor and that are the oppressed kids. He says kids are not being taught that basically what parents are getting are lies. But then he turns right around and says, but we have to admit that there, there are groups of people who have, you know, the advantage in this culture always have and always will. And there are groups of people who do not never have and never will. So in his mind, what, what do he believe people are being taught? I mean, that's exactly what, what they're teaching that's what you know that's what he's about like that, that yeah. that's his curriculum no, in his in his <laughs> mind there's no doubt okay well okay i'm sorry i cannot <laughs> say what is in ibram x kendi's mind okay with certainty <laughs> right okay there is no doubt <laughs> that these kids are being told that they've got to recognize their privilege that they've got to list off characteristics that are not immediately obvious mm -hmm. so that they can be properly scored in their classrooms. In his mind, there is no doubt, I have to be careful, right, <laughs> that this is happening. This is happening. What he is saying, and I want to be generous, mm -hmm. okay, what he is saying is um, kind of aloof to say, because this is what they'll say. Well, I think critical race theory is something that's taught in law schools, right? It's not it's not taught in K-12 education, is it? <laughs> Come on, man. Are you are you kidding me? Yeah. Then then why are people going through all of these various trainings that we keep hearing about? Yeah. What, what is it that they are adopting that's new and that's fresh? If it's not critical race theory. And then what they try to do is they try to detach critical race theory from critical theory. As if it's some some new way to look at life. When when the original critical race theorists admit and confess their genesis, their root, their origin in critical theory. Yeah. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. Yeah. All right. 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. Uh, if you want to call, you can call. We'll take your calls. 888-589-8840. Um, Will the Great, where do we go first? All right. Well, let's go to Bill in West Virginia. Hi, Bill. Hi. How you doing? Doing good. Uh, I just want to say I think that we all are playing right into the hands of the devil when we keep on talking about race, race, race. Because how many races are there in the Bible? There's one, the human race. 
I don't hear God talking about um, brown, black, white in the Bible. Do you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Okay. I, I get what you're saying, Bill. Let me say this, but actually the Bible speaks of two races of people. So there is the human race, right? And then there is the race of people who have come into fellowship with the Lord God, right? So that's a, that's a different <laughs> race of people. Wow. I'm saying that kind of tongue in cheek. I understand exactly what you're saying. Let me say this two points, Bill. God does not shy away. And I hate to say it that way, but God does not shy away from the color of people's skin. Right. When asked the question about can the Ethiopian change his skin color? That's in scripture. I mean, it's not we don't have to be nervous and uptight to talk about skin color. But I, I hear what you're saying and, and, and saying, man, you know, we keep talking about this. This is exactly what the enemy wants. Well, I think what the enemy doesn't want is for the body of Christ to be warned mm -hmm. and to not be lulled to sleep and to not be serenaded into deception. And I think that is what is happening ongoingly. Yeah. I think that that is what I think that's what we're seeing increasingly. And, and let me just say this. If if we don't need to warn people once they come to Christ, because remember. You know, we unapologetically talk to Christians. I know that there are non-Christians who would be listening to this program. But even for believers, if we think that once we come to Christ, we don't need discipleship, <clears throat> excuse me, and sanctification and growing in godliness. then man, what do we do with all of these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to believers, wrote to the church so that we could be warned, so that we would not find ourselves giving in to every wind of doctrine. And that's exactly what this is. This is new doctrine. This is not to exhaust people on this bill, mm -hmm. but it is also not to ignore it. Too many people are ignoring it and are afraid to talk about it. And we talk about the hard things. I mean, there are some other people who ask the question, why do we always have to talk about other topics? You know, and, and, and I understand that, but I'm going to tell you at the end of the day, when, when we turn buttons off, I just I, I need to know that I've been faithful, that I have warned the body of Christ and that I've been unafraid. So mm -hmm. I appreciate your call, Bill, but that's the heart behind this warning people and keeping the body of Christ alert and on guard. Will the Great, where do we go next? All right, let's go to Chris in Texas. Hi, Chris. Hey, Will, Mickey. Hello. I uh, appreciate you taking my call. Mm -hmm. um, I have to admit that Partiality has always been a part of my life, um, and I believe it's godly partiality. I mean, when seeking a spouse, a wife for myself, I, I wanted a godly woman, and I praise God that that he has allowed a godly woman to come into my life, and I was partial for that. You know, I, I, I sought after a godly woman to be my wife, but... At the same time, I've got a question for you. When I was young and I was seeking after a wife, a godly wife, I, I am less melanated uh, myself, and I wanted a less melanated wife mm -hmm. for myself, mm -hmm. and I was partial that way. I mean, is that wrong just to have a preference? <laughs> no, preferences are not wrong. Now, I think if, if you're... Um, wanting a less melanated wife is because you hate or ab ab abhorred more melanated people. That's different. 
But if you if you just have a preference that this is what you like, that's not evil. And so I think, you know, I think you have to distinguish, you know, the heart, the matter of the heart. So what is your heart in, yeah. in that issue? You know, if it's preference, you know, that's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I like I like the way you started off, though, with the most important thing that you wanted a godly wife. Amen. And, and and I think that's that's the most important thing. That's biblical. Right. That that each of us <laughs> should desire <laughs> to be equally yoked. Yeah. All right. Willie Great, where do we go next? All right. Let's go to Michael in Arkansas. Hi, Michael. Hey, how are y'all doing today? Doing good. Hello. I had a really quick, silly question for Will, and then I'll get to my point. Uh-oh. How do you get your wife to call you the great? That's not what, how my <laughs> wife refers to me. Uh, <laughs> well, she did that on her own. Uh, there's a story behind that, though, that there is a, a deeper story. And should I should I share it, I guess? No? Yeah. Let me just leave that. Maybe a, another day we'll, we'll share it. Maybe at a date night. Yeah, maybe at a date night. Okay, yeah. yeah. Maybe at a date night. But there's a deeper story to that. But go ahead with your, mm-hmm. your other question. <laughs> oh, um, I don't know if you guys have touched on this or not, but everybody should pray for, I think it's Demi Lovato came out publicly and said, oh, I'm non-binary and mm-hmm. craziness. But if you yeah. actually look at the pictures of her before she made that public confession and look at the pictures of her now, you know, we I love the fact you guys constantly bring up the spirit of this age. But she has something on her. Her facial features mm. have changed. Mm. If you look at the pictures, you can see it easily. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that. It's, yeah. it's a spiritual matter. When this stuff is going on, it's not just, you know, um, normal, natural. It's unnatural and it's spiritual. So I, w- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that. Yeah, I agree with you on that, Michael, especially because, and I'm not uh, largely familiar with Demi Lovato. I know that she's an actress and a singer, um, but I was reading some articles recently because of the headlines that uh, came out about her making this public announcement about her sexuality. But I, in reading the articles, I read that she also professes to be a Christian. Mm. Um, having grown up really? in church, I think, if I if I remember reading correctly. And so that becomes a bigger deal, a bigger issue yeah. that I think, as as you rightly point out, Michael, that really requires prayer. Yeah. All right, Will the Great, where do we go next? All right, let's go to Kelly in Arkansas. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call today. Mm-hmm. I just had a comment. Um, we lived overseas for 10 years, my husband and I and our five children. We were missionaries. Mm. And um, we sent, as our kids got of age, we sent them back to the States to go to college. And I think that parents are naive when they send their kids off to college, they think they've raised their children, you know, in godly manner. They've, you know, had them in church. They've taught them the word of God. But I think the thing that parents miss out on is the fact that um, all that time that they, you know, were doing the right thing, they were good kids, they were following the rules, it was because they were living under your house, Mm. under your, you know, roof, and you were there to supervise what they were doing. You know, and unfortunately for us, we found out pretty quickly, even though our kids were going to a super small college in the country, out in the middle of nowhere in West Virginia, 45 minutes away from my parents, um, the college promoted um, the gay and lesbian lifestyle. Mm. They promoted that, and both of my kids were RAs at the school to help pay for their room and board. And 
their director pretty much told them, you will not speak against it. Mm. You will not stand up against it. You know, we saw a picture of our daughter on social media. She had cut her hair kind of short, dyed it, dyed it this bright red color, you know, which we were kind of shocked about. But, you know, it's just experimenting with some minor things you can kind of overlook. Oh, Kelly, I'm so sorry. We're running out of time. I hate to have to jump in here, but man, Kelly's making some incredible points about us being discerning and about our kids being already gone. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.